Well, good morning, Grace Church. Happy third service. 11.30 a.m. Look at you guys. I love it. Love it, love it. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here, and it is that time of year. Um, everyone is sick, like literally everyone. I've been sick. Um, my wife, Allie, was sick. Um, I, if I had to guess, you've probably been sick. Um, and if not you, if you have kids, I would definitely put money on your kids have been sick. Like, I would, I would put money on that. And here's the thing. It, it's, it's that time of year where we have a really bad cold and flu typically going around, but... If I had to guess, I would guess that a lot of you sitting in this room are actually sick with something else, too. And, and there's a term that's begun to circulate in the mental health world over the past few years, and that term is hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. There's a therapist from Maui. Her name's Rosemary K.M. Sword. And she said this, when hurry sickness masquerades as efficiency, you may not realize anything's wrong. And so this morning, you might be sitting here and you're going, well, I don't know. I'm definitely not sick with hurry, but I can tell you what, I am efficient. I get a lot. You should see my calendar, Brandon. It is as efficient as you can be. Here's the thing. We, we, sometimes I think we think we're being efficient, but in reality, we're actually just sick with hurry. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a test. Um, all of you, you're going to take this test, and if you get... If you are three of these things, you fail. Okay, I'm going to make it real simple. If you hit three of these things, you fail. And the test is going to, I'm going to share six symptoms of hurry sickness. Okay, you ready? Let's see if you pass or fail. First one is you are speeding through life, both in your car, in your conversations, at the grocery store, or in your meals. Okay, so you are speeding through life. You are immediately, you get off of that on-ramp on 24. Left lane, baby, 82 miles an hour, cruise. Let's go. I, listen, I can tell you right now, the speed limit's not 82 miles an hour on 24. Okay? You go to the grocery store. You're walking through. You got your cart. You get to the checkout line, and what do you look for first? Where's the shortest line? Get me out of here. I have, I have done Market Basket as much as I can possibly handle. Get me out of this store. You sit down to eat and you eat your meal in two bites because you just get me through this. On to the next thing. Next one, you rush through work tasks and household chores to the point where you frequently make mistakes and have to do them again. You go to work, you do a project, you look back over it 10 minutes later and you go, I made a ton of mistakes. Could be an email, could be grammatical, could be spelling, could be missed a step, could be missed this, but you realize you hurried through it and you missed things. The third thing is you're frequently performing time calculations in your head to see whether or not you can fit in another task. Like, oh shoot, I did that in only three minutes. I thought it would take me five. That's perfect. I have two minutes to spare and I can do something else. This is great. I can be efficient, right? Fourth thing, you feel irritable when you you feel irritable when you face delays. Okay, listen, I've lived in New England my whole life. When we get to that red light and it turns green, you better go, right? Or our horn, I, if it takes you longer than three milliseconds, I'm laying on my horn until you move your butt out of the way, right? That light is green. We get impatient, 
right? We're irritable when we face delays. Again, to go back to Market Basket, we, we're standing in line, and it's like, how can you have these many groceries? Just go quick. Check out quick. Bag it quick. Get me out of here. Next thing, constantly trying to find ways to save time. Constantly. How can I save time here? This conversation's going a little long. How can I find some time to save? Last one. You're endlessly running through your to-do list in your head to make sure you haven't forgotten anything. There is a to-do list. Listen, as I stand here on this stage, there is a to-do list in my head that feels endless. No matter how many things I check off, there's another thing. There's another thing. There's another thing. And we go back to it and back to it and back to it. Uh, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but if I had to guess probably 50% plus of this room just failed that and has hurry sickness. We've never had more information in our life. We've never had more opportunities to shop. We've never had more things to do or, or distractions at our fingertips in history. You can be driving down 24 as you order something from Amazon, as you are on the phone making a business deal, all while making sure your kids are in the back with their tablet to watch Bluey or Paw Patrol. Like, you can do all of those things at once, and then as soon as you get out of your car, you're instantly, we will write to straight social media. Check our likes. Let's see how many likes this, this quesadilla I had hit. Like, let, let's see how this is going. We, we go straight to it. Cal Newport, who wrote the book Digital Minimalism, cannot recommend that book highly enough. He said this, let's face it, checking your likes is the new smoking. Right? For a long time, smoke breaks was a, it's, it's kind of like a thing of the past. I know some companies still do it, but it's kind of a thing of the past. Social media and checking your likes is the new break time. Oh, I have 30 seconds. Check Instagram. Oh, I actually have two minutes. Check Facebook. We, we, we check it like we smoke cigarettes. And all of these things online are, here's the thing. Everything that you scroll through online, it's in a bidding war for your attention. It's in a bidding war to keep you distracted, to keep you scrolling as long as possible so you might buy more. There's an author, his name's Tim Huang. He wrote a book called Subprime Attention Crisis where he studied, and he was part of the social media world, and he studied social media tendencies, and he said this, really interesting. The ads you see online are not predetermined. The moment you click on a page, there is an auction held and an ad delivered courtesy of the highest bidder. The entire process to request, bid, evaluate, and deliver the ad straight to your eyes is less than 100 milliseconds. Every ad you see, less than 100 milliseconds, catered and crafted just for you to keep you distracted, to keep you busy, keep you hurried. And so we we learn about these things. And is it any wonder that we're hurried? Like, is it any wonder? We all have things to do. We have kids. We have jobs. We have emails to answer. We have, you know, we're in college. We got, we got things going on. Is it any wonder that we're hurried in our life? No, I mean, I, I get it. But here's the questions that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Does hurry in our lives reflect Jesus to those that might not know him? Is our church, is Grace Church West Bridgewater, is it reflecting a, a, a life of hurry to our community? 
Do you feel haunted by hurry to keep going, to not slow down, to, to always be moving to the next thing and rush through life? And, and if you check any of those boxes, we have to stop. We have to slow down. Not only for our mental, emotional, and physical health, but also for our spiritual health. And, health. and, and today, that's the hope of this teaching, that by the end of this, you, you have two takeaways. And the first one, is you develop a rhythm of being present with God. And the second one is this, that you develop a rhythm of being present with others. But to do that, we're going to look at two stories from the New Testament. And the first one is found in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, open up to what's called the New Testament. It's the second half of your Bible. And Matthew is, is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. If you're struggling to find it, you can just go to the front of your, if you have a physical Bible, table of contents. It'll tell you what page Matthew is on. But Matthew chapter 25, and here's what's going on. So Jesus is actually in his last few days here on earth. His last few days of, of doing ministry. And he's talking with the disciples about the future. He's saying, listen, I'm about to leave, but eventually I'm going to come back. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. And I'm going to show, I'm going to tell you about it using stories and, or parables and illustrations to kind of to show you in a more simple way what it's going to look like when I return. And specifically right here in Matthew chapter 25, what he's discussing about the future is that he is going to return and judge those that have chosen to follow him and those that have chosen not to follow him. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate those two groups of people into my hands. And those that have chosen to follow me, that have chosen to follow Jesus, they're going to be in my right hand and they're sheep. But then in my left hand are going to be those that have chosen to not follow me. And those are represented by goats. I'm separating them out. And then listen to what Jesus says when it, it, a distinguishing feature of somebody that hasn't chosen to follow him in Matthew 25 verses 41 to 45. Then the king will turn, the king is Jesus, will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, listen to this, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me any clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. A hurried life creates blindness. A hurried life creates blindness. Our busyness, our hurried lives, they can blind us from seeing the needs of those around us. It can blind us from seeing those that are hurry are hurt or hurting. Our hurry can blind us from seeing uh, opportunities to shepherd and love our kids well. Our hurried lives can blind us from opportunities to share Jesus with those around us. There's a pastor and an author, his name's Eugene Peterson, and I love this. He said, the word busy is a symptom not of commitment, but of betrayal. How often do we betray people around us? Because we're busy. 
because we're hurried. Now, here's the thing. Just because you're committed to something, even if you're committed to a good thing, it doesn't make it a healthy commitment. I once had coffee with uh, one of my friends who works at a church. Sitting there, and I just asked him, I was like, you know, I know you just started the church. What's your, what's your week look like? Tell me, tell me what your average week looks like. And he goes, well, uh, uh, we had our life group on Monday night, and then Tuesday night we took a family out to dinner, and then Wednesday night I had to work late answering emails and doing prep for church, and then Thursday night we had worship practice with the church, and then Friday night we took another couple out to recruit them to our team for church, and then Saturday we went to church, and then Sunday we went again. And he shared that with me, and then immediately after that, he said, man, my marriage is struggling. He said, I feel tired. I feel, oftentimes, I feel really anxious and sick, and it feels like my wife and I are on different pages. And I sat there, and I went, of course. You're committed in all the right places, but you're betraying your spouse. It's so easy to be, I'm being efficient, I'm committed, look at all these good things I'm doing, and betray friends, family, spouses, kids, and even our relationship with Jesus. Even though we're doing all the right things, it all looks really good, but we're so hurried in life where it's, it's blinding us from seeing needs of people. I was reminded of the words of Corey Ten Boom in that conversation where Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. He will distract you. He will make you think you're committed to all of these great things, but you're missing the actual opportunities to connect with people. This hurry causes us to become blind to those around us. And again, I don't want you to forget the words of Jesus here in Matthew. He says, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Here's what's amazing about this passage. Jesus says the opportunity was there. You missed it. Jesus says, I was hungry. I was thirsty, I was naked, I was a stranger, I was sick, I was in prison, and guess what? You were too hurried in your life to see it. You missed that opportunity. I want to ask you this morning, is there a neighbor in your life that right now is too, is just tired, and you miss it because you're so hurried? Is there a coworker that's sick, and you miss it because you're too hurried? Is there a family member that's hurting, you miss it because you're too hurried? Not only does it cause us to be too blind to notice those around us, but it also, Jesus says, listen, when you're, when, you're, when you're sick with hurry, it causes you to be blind to even seeing me. Matthew 25, verse 45, just listen. They say, the, the people will respond and say, Lord, when did we, we, we didn't see you naked, we didn't see you sick. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, what, what, what happened? You were refusing to help me. There have been times, listen, I, I can't speak for wives in the room, but maybe your husbands will be able to resonate with this, or you know, maybe you resonate with this with a friend or whatever, but there have been a few times where I've been sitting in my living room watching the Patriots, scrolling Instagram, listening to what's happening on the TV, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not proud of this. And all of a sudden, I hear, Brandon, did you hear what I said? 
and I look, and I realize my wife, Allie, has been talking to me for five minutes. But I was too hurried and distracted and busy to hear her voice. This is what hurried and busy lives do to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you an advocate that's going to teach you to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ, to teach you how to take thoughts captive and teach them to obey Christ. Like you, you are going, God is literally going to live within you in the Holy Spirit and teach you what it looks like to follow me. And the Holy Spirit is always talking to us. If you made the decision to follow Jesus, God lives within you, and his goal is to help you be shaped more into the image of Jesus. And he's always talking to you. He's always trying to shape you. He's always trying to give you opportunities to speak in life into other people. But so often we're so hurried, we don't hear him. We catch the tail end and we go, Holy Spirit, did you say something? Were you talking to me? Sorry, I was scrolling Instagram. I was doing this, I was doing that, answering emails, taking calls, doing all these different things, and we miss it. So if hurry sickness is a, if hurry is a sickness, you know, just like when we get sick, we, we want to try to find the cure. What, what is the cure? Well, when we look at Jesus' life, we find it. Because Jesus' life was a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live an unhurried life. I want you to think about this for a second. So Jesus could have come as a 33-year-old adult and gone straight to the cross. That was his purpose. That was his mission, was the cross. Could have come straight to the cross and said, you know what? I know what I need to do. Let me just skip that whole kid thing, and I'll just go right to the cross, and we'll just get this done. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus lived on this earth for 30 years in obscurity. Before anybody even knew he was the son of God. In fact, we only have two accounts in all of the Bible that talk about Jesus' childhood. One, when he teaches at the temple, and two, is his birth. 30 years, we have two accounts. Jesus was and is the ultimate picture of what it looks like for us to be present and care for those around us. And here's how I want to show you this. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. So in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark. It's the next book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are what's called the Gospels. And these four books tell us the story of Jesus. So Mark chapter 5, that's where I want you to turn right now. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. And here's what's going on. He's, Jesus has started his public ministry and he's been teaching and, and he's been healing people and people have started to hear about him and they've started to follow him. And there's this man named Jairus who was a leader in the local synagogue. So he was a religious leader and he's heard that Jesus is actually able to, to heal people. And at that time, Jairus' daughter was actually dying. And so what Jairus does, is he says, I have to, if Jesus can do this, I, I have to go find him. I have to go see him. Maybe he'll come and heal my daughter and make her whole again. And so Jairus goes and he seeks after Jesus and he finds him and he says, listen, Jesus, verse 23, he says, please come and help me. My daughter's dying. Will you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yes, I will. I'll come and heal her. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34, on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, something interesting happens. Verse 24 says, Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. That's really important. Remember that detail. They were crowding around him. 
He's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Verse 25, a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had just gotten worse. And she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. I love this next word. Immediately. Verse 29. Immediately. The bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of a terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? Verse 31. His disciples said to him, Look, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So Jesus in this moment is on a mission. Jairus is on a time crunch. And yet, enter into this story, this woman who had just hoped that if I can just, if I can just touch Jesus' cloak, then that I believe that just touching his cloak can heal me, can heal this thing that doctors haven't been able to heal, that I've struggled with for 12 years. If I can, if I can just touch his cloak, then I, I believe that he can heal me. And she touches his cloak and she's instantly healed. And Jesus turns around and he feels this healing power. He feels that somebody's healed. And he turns around and he goes, who touched, who touched me? And I love the disciples' response. I love the disciples are like, Jesus, look at all of these people. Everybody is touching you. What do you mean, look, who just touched me? But Jesus knew. Because Jesus was present and Jesus was never in a hurry. And even in a crisis, Jesus was aware of those around him. And that's what we need to learn. An unhurried life opens our eyes to see the needs of those around us. An unhurried life, a hurried life blinds us. An unhurried life opens our eyes to see the needs of those around us. See, what's amazing about Jesus, read, read the Gospels, read all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what you're going to find is that Jesus was always present with those around him. He was always listening and looking and aware of those around him. Even as he's on a mission to heal a little girl, he, he's present enough to meet the needs of those around him. And I, I just want you to imagine being Jairus in this moment. You're on your way. Your little, do- your little girl is, is dying. She's on her deathbed. And Jesus has said, I will heal her. And you're walking that way. And then all of a sudden, everything stops. All of the urgency stops. Everything comes to a, a, a grinding halt. And Jesus says, who touched me? Just imagine, Jairus is like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. Let's go. My daughter is dying. What are you doing? What do you mean who touched you? Everybody touched you. And if it, honestly, if Jairus responded that way, I get it. I don't blame him. But Jesus, being ever full of grace and mercy and kindness, listen to what happens with Jairus and his daughter. Verse 35. 
while he was still speaking to her. So here's this woman that's just been healed, and she's at Jesus' feet, and he's talking to her. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's, there's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus, here's this amazing, but Jesus overheard them. He said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus, verse 37, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, just imagine Jesus walking into your home. Your daughter is just dead. And Jesus asked this question. Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Verse 40, the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hands, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old, listen to this next word, so important, immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus lived his life with a purpose, but not at the expense of those that actually needed him. This is the extraordinary love of Jesus. This is the love that Jesus says, love like me, imitate me, be like me. And a mark of a follower of Jesus should be your ability to be present and care for those around you. Because that's how Jesus lived. But to be able to do this, you actually have to slow down. You actually have to put your phones on do not disturb. You have to be present as your neighbor tells you the same story for the fifth time. That uncle, that aunt, that you're like, oh my gosh, Uncle Joe, like this is, I know. Be present in that moment. You never know the opportunity that's going to come up. And it, it's through this unhurried life we're able to live out what a mark, the, the, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, so if you go back, remember that Jesus says, here are the characteristics of somebody that doesn't follow me. Uh, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Well, Jesus also says, here are the characteristics of somebody that does follow me. In Matthew 25, 34 to 36, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Here we go. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. But to be able to do that, we actually have to slow down, pay attention, and listen and hear the needs of those around us. There's a a family in our church, I, I love this family so much, and I was, I was talking with them just a few weeks ago, we were on the phone, and uh, it was a Thursday, and I remember I was like, hey, what are you guys doing the rest of the night, you know, what's your Thursday look like, and um, they go, well, we, we, we actually have an aunt that um, has been struggling with loneliness, um, she's mentioned a, a, a few times to us that she's just been feeling really lonely, 
And they're like, but we actually found out that she, she really enjoys bowling. And so every Thursday night, we take her down to the local bowling alley and we just bowl with her. And they're like, in fact, we've, we've actually joined a bowling league. <laughs> um, and they're awful, they told me. They're like, and we're awful at bowling. But that's intentionality. That's an unhurried life. Hearing a need, having eyes to see it, and then having enough margin in your life where you say, my Thursdays are now going to be dedicated to bowling with our aunt. And that's how they show her Jesus. And when we slow down, we learn how to love better and care better for those around us. And I love the, the writer, author, and, and pastor. His name's John Bloom. He said this, we cannot love what we do not linger over. And this is, this is how I want to wrap up, that we cannot love what we do not linger over. And Jesus set this example for us because Jesus came and he lingered on earth for 33 years. He ate with us. He walked with us. He prayed with us. He laughed with us. He, he, he lingered among us. He lingered among his creation. He, again, he could have gone straight to the cross. He could have come as a 33-year-old and said, you know what? i got to go straight to the cross. This is what." Instead, he came and he lingered and he hung out with us and he loved us. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have margin in your life to linger right now? That if somebody needed an extra five minutes for you to just sit with them, if somebody called you unexpectedly and said, can we, can we get coffee? Is your calendar and your schedule and your life so full of hurry that you'd have to say no. Sometimes people just need a word of encouragement. They need an extra five minutes to talk. They need a cup of coffee. They need someone to just sit and listen to them. And here's my question. If you would answer no to having the margin for other people, what's your margin look like for God? Is he getting your leftovers? Or is he getting your best? Is he getting, oh, you know what, God, at the end of my day, if I have 15 minutes before I go to sleep, I'll pray. It, God, you know what? Sundays, I'll give you an hour. You can have, I'm going to go out to brunch before, but I'll give you an hour. Is he getting your best or is he getting your leftovers? Here's what's amazing. I love King David, the second king of Israel. He said this in the, in the book of Psalms. Chapter 1, verse 2, he said, but they delight in the law of the Lord. This, for somebody that loves God and, and is a follower of Jesus, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Are you meditating on God's word day and night? Are you meditating on how to be formed more into the image of Jesus and love those around you better? Now, meditation is something that, that you know, new age spirituality is kind of, it, it's tried to steal. Meditation has been in the Bible for a couple thousand years. Followers of Jesus have been called to meditate uh, and spend time with God for a couple thousands of years. Because when we meditate on something, we linger over something. We linger around people. 
Because lingering requires us to slow down. In the same way we develop deeper, more loving relationships with friends and our kids by spending time with them, by sharing meals with other people, by playing games of Monopoly with each other, by smoking cigars on the back porch, by laughing, crying together, having coffee with each other. The same way do we, we develop deeper, uh, um, better relationships with each other the longer we linger with each other. It's the same way when it comes to our relationship with God. If you are not lingering, if you're not investing into it, that relationship with God will only go as far as you let it. To truly fall more in love with Jesus, to have eyes to care for those around us, we have to slow down. We cannot be sick with hurry. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor from Oregon, he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. And he comes to the end of the book and he says this. Here's my point. The solution to an over-busy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Maybe you've even said before, if I just had 30 hours in a day. If there was just an eighth day of the week, think about what I could get done. Man, if there was a 53rd week in the year, think about. Here's the thing. When God created day and night, heavens and the earth and us, he said you need 24 hours and 365 days. That's all you need. It's not that you need more time. It's that you need to linger more on what really matters. That's what you need. So it all sounds really great, right? We come to the end of this and it's like, sure, Brandon, I want to slow down, but I have three boys. I have emails to send. I have meetings. I have, I have a life. What do you mean slow down? Here's, here's what I want to do. I want to give you four practical spiritual applications to walk out of here, implement in your life. Simple. You can start doing them this week. To, less, to declutter your life, to unhurry your life. And here's the first one. It's you need to develop a Sabbath. You need a Sabbath in your life. Here's what a Sabbath is. It is a 24-hour period in your life that you dedicate to developing your relationship with God and others. You don't go grocery shopping. You don't answer emails. Put your phone in a drawer. It's not a day to mow the lawn. It's not a day to, sh well, we're about to be shoveling our, our driveways. It's not a day to shovel your driveway. It is a day for you to slow down. And here's the thing. If you think to yourself, well, Brandon, I, I just can't carve out 24 hours because I, I have all these things to do. Listen. The world's going to be just fine without you for 24 hours. And if you don't think it will, let's check the ego a little bit. It's going to be just fine. You can carve out 24 hours. Here's the thing. The Sabbath was made for us. It's given to us. It's a gift from God. God said, rest, Sabbath. 
And we don't work towards the Sabbath. It shouldn't be, I'm working Monday, through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm, I'm hoping, I can't wait to get to the Sabbath. Instead, what it should be, I'm Sabbathing, and then out of that rest, out of that delight, out of that time with God and other people, I have the energy to live out the rest of my week. Develop a Sabbath. The Bible is clear that in the same way prayer, worship, attending a church service, and being in community with others it is a part of following Jesus. The Bible is crystal clear that the Sabbath is just as important as those things. And so this morning, if you are not setting aside 24 hours to Sabbath, you're not living a biblically obedient life. It's, that's not Brandon talking. That's God's word. So the first step is Sabbath. Second one is this. And, and, and this one, it, it's more personal, so you're going to have to kind of contextualize it to your everyday life. But one of the, the habits I've found, the rhythms I've found to help me slow down is anytime I go to a coffee shop and by myself I'm doing some work, what I, what I try to do is I carve out a time period where I, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, I close my laptop, I close all my books, I take my headphones out, I put them on the, on, the, on the table, and I sit there with my coffee and all I do is I people watch. Seriously, I sit there and I watch people. And the first time I did it, I'm sure people walked by and they're like, what's this guy's deal? You know, this guy's just sitting here watching me. And it was a little awkward at first, but you know what? The more I've done it, I've actually started to like, people walk in and I pay attention to their face. Pay attention to what they're doing on their phone pay attention to who they're talking to, and I've started to see these people as they walk in. I see one time, maybe never see again. I've started to see them made in the image of God. I've started to find myself praying for people. You know, that mom that walks in with her, her kid, and it's, it, I can tell it's just been a hard day. God, would you bring her peace? That person that walks in that clearly is overjoyed and just in a really great place. God, would you just take care of them? Thank you for what you're doing in their life. Man, it's taught me. It's taught me to slow down. And as I've slowed down, what I've realized is I see people differently. Here's a third thing. <laughs> this one's just practical. Okay? And you can research it. You can try to find as many studies as you want to disprove this. But what you will find is that you need to turn off the notifications on your phone and on your Apple Watch because those are causing you to live a more hurried life. You don't need to know every second you get an email on your phone. You don't need to know how many people commented on the picture you posted of your quesadilla for breakfast. I don't know why somebody would do that, but you don't need to know. Sure, leave notifications on for your text message and your phone calls. I get that. You don't need to know how many people commented on your Instagram post, your Facebook post, whatever. Turn notifications off. Take them off of your wrist. 
have you, have you guys noticed that our notifications creeped out of our pockets and onto our wrist, right? You guys have noticed this. There are sunglasses now that display your Facebook notifications. You cannot slow down if you don't allow yourself to. Set boundaries to create better rhythms. Here's the last thing. Actually, really quick, that technology was created for you to own it, not for it to own you. Okay? So pay attention and make sure your, your phone's not owning you and in charge. Okay, here's the last thing. Develop a, a daily rhythm of silence and solitude. Develop a daily rhythm of silence and solitude. Now, here's the thing. Parents in the room, you're like, Brandon, this is not possible. Okay, I get it. I, I know this might be hard for you. Here's what it might require. You getting up 15 minutes before your kids. I know that might be like 545. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe what you need to do is you need to clear out a closet in your house, and you need to say, Mommy's going in the room for three minutes. And you just sit there and quiet for three minutes. You know, dad needs some alone time. Develop daily rhythms of silence and solitude because, as we said earlier with my example with my wife, Allie, sometimes we're so hurried we miss hearing God's voice. We've got too many other things going on. Here's some great tools to help you do that because this is not some, truthfully, this isn't something I'm, I'm great at, but I'm trying to get better, and some of these tools have helped me get better. The first one is the Glorify app. Now, I know it's ironic. I just told you to turn off notifications. Now I'm telling you to download an app to your phone. I get it. I get the irony, okay? But these are for your benefit. Glorify app, great. Find it in the app store. The next one is Lectio 365 app. Lectio 365 gives you a morning devotion, gives you an evening devotion. Both of them are built around opportunities to create silence, solitude, and study God's word. Spend time in prayer. The third one is, is Pete Scazzaro, who's a pastor from New York. He created a great tool called the Daily Office. The Daily Office. And the Daily Office is literally, it's, it, it helps you plan out your day and build it around different breaks where you slow down. Where, where you intentionally turn everything off, you sit in silence. You study God's word, do a little devotional. And then the last one is this. You need to create a rhythm and place for prayer in your life. Prayer slows us down. Prayer unhurries us. Slow down by developing prayer in your life. Listen, hurry, it is a sickness that can haunt you and it can haunt me. It can and so we need to do our best to unhurry our lives so that we can live more emotionally, physically, spiritually healthy lives. And we do all of this in hopes that we may linger long enough for someone to see Jesus in our life. Let's pray. God, I thank you that when you sent Jesus... You sent him to linger for 33 years and to walk among us and to eat among us, to laugh among us, God, to care for those around him. God, you set the example through your son Jesus of what it should look like for us to live unhurried lives. So this morning, 
God, whatever, whatever the people in this room that maybe are struggling with hurry sickness, and God, I praise, I pray that the people in this room that aren't struggling with it, God, that they would give you glory and they would continue to walk faithfully in that path. To continue to live unhurried lives. But God, for the people that are struggling with it, God, would you help us to have opportunities and see those around us that maybe need um, help? that need care. Would you, would you remove the, the spiritual blinders that maybe we've put on because we're so hurried in our everyday life? And God, for the people in this room that haven't chosen to find and follow Jesus, maybe it's the first time here. God, I pray that this morning they heard who Jesus was and what Jesus did for them, and they would choose to put their faith in him. They would surrender their lives and follow him for the rest of their life. God, everything that we do, it's, it's, it's in hopes that more people would find Jesus. So help us, God. Help us. Teach us. As 2 Corinthians says, for the things, the thoughts that are, are, are not like you, the rebellious thoughts, help us to teach them to obey Christ. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.